In this episode of The Fool Nerd, what happened to peace? Oh, I was looking at my stupid phone. All right. <laughs> See, I'm going to screw this up. It's... I thought the two times thing was a joke. No. 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 <laughs> no it was... Sometimes it's, you know how like pro athletes have like their little like jinx things for luck? Sometimes I think that's it. But I just, Jim, I'm legitimately not used to looking at my phone when I kick this off, so. I just got back from Disneyland, too, the happiest place on earth, so I'm a little wasted from that. In this episode of Full Nerd, what happened to PC World's YouTube channel? And Adam Taylor of EPOS Vox talks AV1 encoding. Welcome to episode 224 of The Full Nerd. I'm your host, Gordon Maung, with co-host Brad Charkis. Hello, Internet. Special guest, Adam Taylor of YouTube channel EpozVox. Hey, hey. And other Adam, Patrick Murray, <laughs> controlling the vertical and horizontal. Dang, look at that. Uh, now I'm dubbed the other Adam, just because, yes. uh, <laughs> you know, Adam Taylor. You know, it, it makes sense. Uh, Adam Taylor is, is here, EpostVox, awesome YouTube channel. You should, you should go check it out. I, I will personally say this on air. A Adam's channel has helped me be the one to, to level up my streaming game, especially from home and using OBS. So you should definitely go check it out. He, he is called the, the, the stream professor for a reason. So uh, though you don't wear like a, a lab coat or any... Any sort no, of only only material. for special occasions. I'd be I'd be the <laughs> I'd be the college professor that showed up in like jeans and a tank top or something. Nice. <laughs> there mm -hmm. you go. Also, you uh you got your first article up on PCWorld.com, uh so that that's exciting too. So heck yeah, uh, yeah. Glad glad to have you uh, as 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 part of the uh, as part of the group, and we're we're also talking about potential video stuff in the future too. So. Yeah, uh, and then uh, friend of the show uh, Nix Rocks uh, says uh, Adam one and Adam two. There we go. <laughs> there we <laughs> that's, go. That's what we'll we'll, we'll do going forward. Uh, we got a lot to talk about, Gordon. It's it's been a couple weeks. Uh, yeah, since we've been so, on it's, YouTube, it's right? like we haven't been here almost. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I guess um, I I can kick this off. Uh, for those in the know and those who don't know. Uh, PC World's YouTube channel was gone for about eight days, just poof, vanished from the internet. Uh, luckily, we are back. Uh, I do want to talk about the story of what happened a little bit, uh, but for the most part, we're, we're back up and running. Hopefully, you're, you're watching us here on, on YouTube. Uh, I, I think so. So, yeah, everyone's <laughs> saying welcome back. So, great. Oh, boy. Yeah, it has been a rough couple weeks for a, a lot of reasons. Um, well, I guess let's just start from the beginning, shall we? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, I want to start this off by saying uh, PC World's YouTube channel is kind of a, a, a subset of PCWorld.com. If you did not know, we have a website, PCWorld.com. Uh, awesome articles. Uh, mm -hmm. PC World used to be a print magazine. We actually do still have a, a digital edition of the magazine. Right? And it rocks. And it rocks. Yeah. Uh, PC World's been around for a long time. I know on, on Steve's video about what happened, a lot of people, and we get this comment and question a lot, hey, are you guys associated with Curry's PC World in the UK? And like, no, that's not us, not the same company. We, pre we predate them, actually. Somebody, mm -hmm. oh yeah, somebody on the, the comment was like, oh, I, I just assumed Curry's PC World took you guys down off of YouTube. And I was just <laughs> like, I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, nope, no, that would not happen. Anyway, no. 
so PC World, along with uh, other brands like MacWorld and, and Tech Advisor and TechHive, make up uh, you know uh, B two C properties. We have B two B properties like CIO, Computer World. That's the stuffy, boring stuff. Uh, we're we're all this editorial <laughs> entity that feeds up into uh, a company called Foundry. Uh, it, Foundry is kind of uh, the the publisher. I, I, what, what's a how would you describe our place in Foundry, Brad? <laughs> That's our over overhead parent company. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Foundry's a big company. Foundry yeah. does a lot. Editorial is just one part of it. There's like events and marketing, all this other stuff. Anyway, Foundry along with uh, IDC, the analyst firm, make up IDG Inc. So IDC in itself is a huge company. Combined with Foundry, make up IDG Inc. And then IDG Inc. is actually owned by Blackstone as of late last year, which is one of the biggest... What private equity firms in the world? Yeah. Uh, yep. So it's it, so I, I know there's a lot of people out there who might not understand that we're not just a YouTube channel. <laughs> we're like we we're kind of part of a very big uh, corporations and companies. Yeah. Uh, uh, we try to have fun like a YouTube channel, uh, but yeah, we're. But we're yet more... before we came into this, you told me not to cuss, Adam. <laughs> Wait, did I, did I cuss? <laughs> No, oh, you said okay. we try to have fun, but you don't let oh, me cuss. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I was like, oh no, did I just drop it after? <laughs> Crap. Um, anyway, so what happened was uh, we, IDG Inc. has a, a IT um, uh, department that handles all, I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands of people that it manages, uh, you know, U.S. and then in other parts of the world as well. Um, they, they needed to do some routine work on email addresses to kind of just, I don't know, get, get it up to, you know, wh whatever newest versions. Anyway, one of the email addresses happened to be the email address that was originally the one that was created this YouTube channel back in 2007. This YouTube channel is pretty old. Uh, and, and so, yeah, they were trying to make those changes, um, they, they didn't necessarily follow the, the correct steps, uh, and the, the email got deleted. And so what happens when you e delete an email that's a tied as the primary account owner of a YouTube channel, that YouTube channel gets marked for deletion as well. So, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a scramble uh, to come in and find like, oh, crap, this channel's marked for deletion, and I can't get in. There's nothing we can do. Um, <clears throat> and then all of a sudden it, it just disappeared and it was, it was rough. It was rough. Uh, so that it was kind of an all hands on deck kind of thing to, to try to contact YouTube. And we were able to get some low level contacts, you know, tech support. Uh, we even like took to Twitter to try to get their attention and <laughs> they ended up pretty much just telling us, Oh, Hey, the channel has been deleted. There's nothing you can do. Sorry. <laughs> and man, yeah, that was, that was rough. I, you know, I, I I've said this, to everyone here, but I tell you what, I, I was in a rough spot, you know, just, I mean, I, I was angry about what happened, but really I was just like bummed out. Cause it's like, I pour my blood, sweat and tears into this channel as, as does everyone else. And like the idea of having that all just poof, gone, disappear it, is, was just heavy. So I, I was like, okay, we, we need to, we need to go all hands on deck on this. So like, that was it, my low spot too, because they straight up said, this is not reversible. Yeah, yeah, it was rough. It was real rough. And we, so anyway, like, I, I, the thing that came out of it for me was that 
everybody on staff, you know, from, from Gordon reaching out to, to other YouTubers, you know, Brad reaching out to contacts, Elena reaching out to contacts, our, our EIC, uh, John Phillips, uh, wrote, or, uh, you know, wrote a, an article on pcworld.com, uh, that got the attention then of YouTube, uh, on Twitter, <laughs> some, somebody different on, on YouTube, on Twitter. And, and then we, we just re- ended up running this up the flagpole. This literally went to the CEO of our company at IDG Inc. You know, to try to get help. He he was reaching out to to his contacts, uh, and we even took it to Blackstone to say, "Hey, do do you know anybody in YouTube that can can get this sorted? Because we're not getting we're not getting into the help we need to get this back." Uh, it, it 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 took a lot of people and a lot of effort, but we finally were able to get in touch with somebody at YouTube. <coughs> Uh, and yeah, luckily we had to kind of go through some stuff to, to, to get it back, but they were like, oh yeah, we, we can bring it back and now it's here. So yeah, it's, that's, you. yeah, that, that's the overall <laughs> journey. I, I will say there are some backend stuff that is kind of still broken. I'm finding little things here and there that I'm like, oh crap. Okay. I need to fix this. I need to fix that. But luckily, I mean, the, the videos are back. The, the subs are back. The comments are back. The view counts, you know, every, everything's back. And, and I know a lot of people were confused and wondering like what happened. I, I had people reach out to me on my, my personal email uh, Same here. And, and my personal website being like, Hey, did, did everybody get laid off? Or, uh, when the channel finally did get back, it, it was then tied to my work email address. So the channel was actually called uh, Adam Murray or Adam Patrick Murray. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody was like, oh my God, did Adam buy the channel? <laughs> uh, I, I didn't, I, I, I just had to rename Mutiny. The, yeah, right. So, oh man. Uh, and yes, uh, uh, Dr. Ian Cutris from Tech Tech Potatoes here. Uh, welcome in. Yes, uh, we still have monetization. We're stable, still able to stream live. E- everything came back. Uh, for the most part, Ian, so Ian was helping tweet about this too. So thank you, Ian. Yes, no, no. Thank you to Ian. Uh, Steve got us in contact with somebody, uh, but then also he did his awesome news post. Uh, yes, two days ago, I think yeah. it was, talking about what happened. Uh, you know, Gordon had reached out to a ton of YouTubers, and to tell you the truth, like it, it was, it was hard because, like, you know, there's people with way bigger channel channels than than ours that you reached out to gordon that like just had no they had no contact in youtube right (laughs) yeah they had zero contact which was it's always amazing to me that like how do you how could you have such large you know channels have no direct contact with youtube um which was a surprise but i I, again i i want to thank all the people who did help you know steve at gamers nexus is awesome paul uh uh Jay, Paul's hardware. Jay, Paul's hardware. They all, you know, were very helpful, and and I was telling them like, hey, you know, thanks for helping because honestly, back in the days of the early, you know, tech web pages, people weren't so friendly, and I will say even further back in that, magazines were definitely not friendly. I will say, I, we've been banned by a vendor due to another magazine basically. Narking us out on something intentionally because they wanted to put an elbow in our face, and the fact that you have technically somewhat sort of competitive tech tubers that are willing to like, hey, we want to help, just speaks so much about this generation of of tech journalists. I think. Yeah. Oh, it, also, yeah. I don't want to forget pointing out uh, Steve over at Hardware and Box also was helping a lot too. So don't want to leave him out. 
other folks too behind the scenes all kinds of folks were helping out so thank oh, you everybody yeah i mean in in my lowest points like that's what was able to kind of bring me out just personally mentally just like seeing everybody in the company seeing all these youtubers get together and and just you know like like come to bat for us and i mean sure we're, we're pc world we've been around for a long time but also i mean our, our channel's small relatively to, to some of these other people and it's just like you know, I, I don't know if we could have got it back without all the help from everybody, yep. right? And I mean, and and in some ways, that's a blessing and a curse that we're such a big company. It's a curse because, you know, we kind of have IT, you know, <laughs> handling things. And uh, that is stuff we need to work on as a company. Like, hey, we need processes and, and better things in place like that for sure. But, uh, you know, w without this, the power of the power of IDG and the power of Blackstone or whatever <laughs> to reach out like, like, you know, I mean, Adam, your Epos Vox channel is almost the same size as ours, pretty much, if not bigger. I can't remember. But like, like what avenues would you have been able to take if, if this happened to you? <laughs> so I have a effectively like a talent agency that represents me that has some contacts within YouTube I could oh, leverage. Okay. But outside of that, like in terms of direct contact, I would be doing the exact same thing. I'd be hitting up Linus and whoever else and being like, hey, help. Because <laughs> uh, right. I've gone through phases where I've had like a dedicated partner manager at YouTube for six months at a time. But then mm -hmm. they always either just like they seem to have a revolving door with that or either they only want to do it on trial phases with a lot of channels. And so by time I actually have a need for them, they're like, okay, we're done being your partner manager now. Good luck. And it's just like, what? <laughs> Six months is nothing in like YouTube time. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's rough. That's rough. Yeah. I, I mean, so what to, to kind of, you know, put a bow on this so we can move on to AV1, which is the fun stuff. What, uh, I mean, what do we think YouTube could do? I mean, uh, like I understand YouTube is huge. There's millions and millions and billions of channels. You know, the amount of channels that are, that are over a hundred or I'm sorry, over 1 million are still like in the tens of thousands. There's a lot of channels out there. Like what, you're going to have a, a brand manager for each of those channels, you know, or, or what, what level do you get one? They kind of promise you're supposed to get one at the, at the hundred K yeah. thing. But yeah, I mean, we have four channels that, that I manage that each one of them are over hundred K and we've never had access to anything. So <laughs> like, what can you do for me? The craziest parts just. Adam does all the YouTube work. I'm on here all the time, but I'm not nitty gritty involved in YouTube like Adam is. To me, the craziest parts are one, just how hard it is to get a hold of somebody. Like to me, if you have a play button or something, there should be like a priority queue. Like there has to be some level. I think a play button is it's a good level to have that where, okay, someone will read this in the next two or three days, at least kind of a deal, even if you don't have a direct line. But just as concerning for me was the fact that an accident with an email could completely nuke a channel, even though we had several other email addresses and accounts tied to it as managers. Like there feels like there could be a whole something much more robust there for YouTube. So stuff like this doesn't happen because, you know, the fact that an email gets changed, takes down a 300 strong channel, 300,000 strong channel, and it's down for eight days. And only after shaking so many trees, does it come back? That's just, that's, that's wild to me. <laughs> yeah. I think it kind of, possibly speaks to what we don't really see is the scale of YouTube. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if you're YouTube, I, I would, I was saying this during the midst of all this, cause I thought we were just done. 
I'm like, if your YouTube is like, oh man, think of the terabytes we get to clear now and have somebody. <laughs> can you imagine the the truckloads? Like, oh, finally we can upload offload these stupid PC World videos. Right. No, I mean, really, every time somebody deletes a YouTube channel, I bet they are so relieved because they have pallets and pallets and pallets of storage coming in. Like they probably basically fund WD and whoever else makes hard drives these days because they just have to store so much data. And it's like every a-hole in the world can have a channel and just upload, you know, a terabyte worth of videos that no one's watching. And how do you how do you possibly manage that where anybody with a, a, a Google account can upload anything? And it just you have to pay for that space and to stream it that I don't know how you have a business model that sort of comes out winning there. So I'm sure from their point of view, it's like we're not going to try too hard to like reload you know 50 terabytes worth of files that you have on our server so it's just not i i i know a lot of people are always angry at youtube believe me i've said some really unkind things about youtube in the last week but i understand the horrible position they're in too and i think one thing we should say is the people who did once we were able to you know reach the reach heaven and talk to god and say hey you need mm -hmm. to restore this those people who did did the restoring, they should be given credit for doing it. Oh, but, for sure. Yeah. They, were, they were very nice and helpful, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, once we were able to finally get a hold of somebody who could actually do something, I mean, there, there was plenty of, like, auto responses and, you know, like, kind of low-level tech support, but it was just like, oh, sorry, we're going to have to come back to you and reach out to some other person, you know, just like, oh, no, this is taking forever. But For, for me, just the craziest part is, like, there's no warning, no nothing. It's just like, oh, the email just changed. Now your station's gone. Like, yeah, there should be a big red, like, hey, are you sure you want to do this kind of a button? <laughs> that's my thing, is that completely exposes, like, the flaw in their new permission system. And this is YouTube's, like, fifth round of channel manager-like permission systems that they've tried to implement. They've been around on YouTube a long time. They have... The, the biggest problem is both in terms of function at like server side feature sets and their customer support they have layers upon layers of just like instead of replacing old systems they just kind of slap them on top and so like half of our comment features are still legacy google plus features that have been like half you know gutted and still there and half not working and like if you reply to a comment on mobile it tries to tag the person you're replying to because that's what it did with the google plus integration but that doesn't work anymore it just puts it in plain text and it doesn't do anything but that's a leftover feature and lots of those kinds of things and the new permission system is really cool but it has none of that like like the system they had right before it you could have multiple owners of a channel and if you make any change to that channel it notifies the other and it's like hey do you want to approve this and all of this and the second with the new one like you do anything like that like it it didn't even tell you it's just like hey your channel's gone um and that new system should 100 percent have like the ability effectively just like a failover just like okay if this account doesn't exist clearly something's wrong we didn't mean to just delete the youtube channel since if you try to delete a YouTube channel, it's like a five-step process. You have to be like, delete channel. Are you sure you want to delete this channel? Sign your name. <laughs> Re-log in with your password. But yeah. then you delete the email, and it just deletes it for you. And that seems completely backwards. Which, I mean, uh, to, to be fair, the amount of people deleting emails is pretty slim. So that's definitely yeah, on us. <laughs> it is. But, you know, yeah. yeah. But still, still, yeah, it definitely should not, uh, should not a, work like A safety that. would be good. It feels like a safety system. And YouTube <sighs> used to have, like in terms of support tiers and stuff like they used to have very in-depth 
Like you hit 100, 150K or whatever. You know, this was 10 years ago when that was like God tier channel. But like you had so many, they had exclusive show playlists with like season and episode numbers and you could subscribe just to the show instead of the channel. You had like manual approvals for everything. And just as so many, you know, as too many people filled in all those slots and they just couldn't keep up with the logistics. I don't, I don't know if they can't keep up at this point, how they can't. It seems like they're really stingy with how they spend their people in terms of customer yeah. support. But it seems, it's one of those things that seems like they have to be able to be better at it. But I also have to believe in a way, like if they're not, then they can't. Like surely if they could, they would, but maybe that's a little naive. I don't know. Well, and then, uh, I mean, the other thing a lot of people were messaging me of like, oh, well, why can't you go to another platform? You know, I mean, it's just like... That's not... like It's what, the same thing with the backup channel. Like, you can make a second channel. You don't have all your subscribers. You don't have the... You said 2007, so like 15 years of algorithm, you know, <laughs> recommending yeah. all the videos and finding the right viewer for everything. Like, that, that's not a solution. That's just like starting over. That's not... yeah. And also, like like things like Floatplane, uh, you know, are are typically paywalled or, or or gated kind of content, you know. And sure, you know, we've ta we've thought of like, hey, you know, maybe we can gate some content, but like we would never gate the whole channel, right. Behind something like that, so yeah, it's because then you lose all discovery and like no no one finds you. You're only pointing people from like the website, and that only gets you so far. Yeah, yeah. So it's. It was. I tell you what. It was a wild ride. It's. It's not over. Thank you, everybody, and then th and thank you, everybody, for being patient. Uh, I will say that because of this, uh, you know, not only do I need to take some time to fix some things, we've kind of uh, slowed down our production schedule because we were like, well, should we shoot this video? I don't know. Do we have a channel? Oh, I don't know. You know, so we we don't have as many videos in the pipeline right now. So things are going to be a little thin. Uh, you know, for for the next month or so, but just be patient. We'll we'll ramp up. You know, as as things come out, uh, and yeah, go forward from there. I do want to give a shout out. We we have a, a bunch of super chats before I move on. No, no, uh, no, no. I want to do a shout out first. Oh, please. I want to do a shout out to Adam Patrick Murray because this all happened on Monday. Is the day that the station got deleted? The <laughs> channel. Uh, Adam was going on vacation Wednesday, uh, so this all happened right as he was going on vacation. And uh, he was, you know, on the proverbial beach with his phone trying to help get all this solved in the midst of it. So thanks, Adam. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it just it wasn't it wasn't an option. This is my, you know, this, yeah. this is what I do. This is what I love. I, I need to, to take care of it. But I did have a good vacation. Then Gordon went on vacation. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah. might as well if you don't have a station uh, channel to post to anyway. Hey, vacation time. <laughs> it it did come at the worst possible time. Too, so that's. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. I, oh, and I mean, we do have some, so we do have some videos that were already shot that need to get uploaded. We got a framework video. Uh, I, I looked at a Falcon Northwest Tiki, compared it against my small four-factor machine. Uh, we do have that team viewer sponsorship that I'm really excited to do that live stream. Uh, so luckily, that sounds super viewer, fun. Yeah, I, we're, we're rescheduling it. We need to figure it out exactly, but man, it's, it's, uh, it's yeah, that one's going to be fun. So anyway, uh, the Super Chats, Oh, no, go ahead, Gordon. No, I, I was just going to say, I, I'll say it afterwards. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, a generic account gave us five uh, Canadian dollars. Thank you so much. Said, uh, here's a fiver for your IT team. Apparently, they need the cash. <laughs> Hello. 
Yep, I'll, I'll forward that along. Uh, Sid Lives, friend of the show, gave us a uh, $1.99. Said, uh, hope you get this. Sorry for your trouble. No problem. I'm, I'm glad we're back. Uh, Joe Hornacy gave us a $10 super chat. Said, glad you're back. Sorry for causing trouble several episodes back. You guys rock. Uh, I, I don't remember you causing trouble, so... Good job. <laughs> uh, Mike Quinton, friend of the show, Mike Quinton, gave us a $50 super chat. Thank you so, so much. Said, welcome back. Uh, even the Secretary of Defense has a telephone number and public email. Auto-generated <laughs> tech is overrated. Mm. Yeah, you know, mm. there's something to be said about that. Uh, and Old mm. Man Brian, friend of the show, Old Man Brian, uh, gave us a 10-pound uh, super chat. I think that's what it is. Said, uh, oh, oh, this is for the Q&A section. I'll hold that for the Q&A section. Uh, but, yeah. Anyway, yeah, fun I was going to say one more video uh, we, we definitely want to upload because we couldn't actually stream it on YouTube at the time was this cool interview and appearance by Tom Peterson of Intel and Ryan Stroud of Intel. Mm -hmm. They had an Intel Arc GPU at 770 running behind us. We talked all kinds of things, whether you should even buy an Arc. Uh, and I thought that would be cool to talk about because we need to get that out on the channel. I know this is a great segue to talk about Adams, Adam one or Adam two, his expertise, <laughs> which is AV one encode, because to me that's that's really one of the coolest features of Arc. Yeah, I'm 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 super excited to hear about this for sure. I, I think before we before we get in too deep into the Arc testing that, that you did, go read the article over on PC World. It's awesome. Uh, just from a high level, real quick, Adam, can you maybe explain you know what an encoder is, how AV one is different than other encoders, and yeah, you know, just just so, kind of a quick high level, just to get people up to speed. Most graphics cards, going back to like the the DVD days, have some sort of hardware on them to process video. Be it back then, MPEG two and DVDs. You know, the the early videos you were playing to these days, it's most commonly you know your H two six four, which is a codec that everyone has been using for fifteen years for YouTube videos and things like that. Um, it has a section of the actual physical hardware on board dedicated to both reading the video back if you're playing it on a website or one of those magical mirrored discs back in the day <laughs> or um, you know a file on your computer or if you're actually creating that video file which is what video encoding is so decoding is reading encoding is creating it effectively um, and that's used to accelerate processing and building that video and video editing and you know goofy apps like when you capture your game clips and then when you start live streaming doing what we're doing with OBS and things like that you can do all of that on your processor because pretty much any computer function you can do it super slow on your processor just with general you know software or you can do it with fixed function hardware if you have accelerators and that's what the graphics card does and so the there's been kind of an arms race for the past few years between Nvidia and AMD of trying to make better video encoders for live streamers to be able to stream game streaming as Twitch has been blowing up and things like that. It's one of those things that was included on cards as kind of an afterthought before just because it made your computer life easier and now it has become a very big deal. Um, and Intel's iGPUs have actually been slowly like kind of racing alongside them. It's been it was a big kind of thing back in 2014. If anyone was around on YouTube, there was this whole big explosion of a lot of the tech YouTubers using MacBooks to edit their videos instead of desktops because it had the iGPU video acceleration that sped up their renders so much. And they were just like, all right, throw out the desktop. We're on MacBooks now, which was a little weird, but whatever. Yeah. Um, wasn't a fan of that phase, but there was there was reason for it. And now we're at the point where everyone's trying to do this. But 
H.264 is a very old codec. It was originally released in, I think, 2003. So we're coming up on almost 20 years. And mm. so it's not it was designed for 480p, you know, standard definition, kind of into the high definition era, um, but not designed for the crazy, you know, the 60 FPS, the 4Ks, the 1440Ps. Twitch is trying to do 120 FPS now. It wasn't designed for all these higher formats. And so it's not very efficient for that, meaning at the lower bit rates, the bandwidth, basically the hose that you can stream your video to on a lot of these websites, you're going to get really poor quality. You're going to get the blocking, the artifacting, it's going to be blurring. Um, well, and, and especially there's a difference between encoding offline and online, right? When yes. you're streaming, that's completely different kind of yes. encoding need. You know, when yeah. I'm just rendering out a video, whatever, you know, you can let it run kind of thing. Yeah. When you're making a YouTube <laughs> video, you can do multi-passes or just have it run super slow and take three hours to make a 20-minute video, and then you can squeeze every possible bit out of it. When you're doing streaming, it has to be real-time. And so the, the, the settings in the different encoders, because each encoder has a million different arguments and features and settings, you have to start seriously limiting what you have access to in order to you know, get it running fast enough to spit out 60 frames per second every, every second. And we've been trying to find, you know, Amazon, Twitch, YouTube have been trying to find different solutions for higher, you know, efficiency codecs. HEVC H265 was the big one that everyone was relying on at one point that came out. And because companies that make, you know, industry defining tools like money, there was a ton <laughs> of licensing issues and patent issues with that. And it was effectively dead on arrival. You still see it in some places and Netflix even used it for a little bit. But in terms of consumer applications, like our ability to stream it on OBS or any other program has been super limited because effectively every single tool that implements an encoder for it has to pay a licensing fee for every user, which means they have to track every user. It, it gets really messy. And that's why it doesn't even come installed in Windows anymore. You have yep. to go get yeah, that. You have special, to go download. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you have to download an extension just to play the video files, which then also means no one wants to send you video files for that because IT is like, hey, you know, IT gets flooded <laughs> with requests of my MP4 doesn't play. What the heck? Um, Blu-rays still use it for, for 4K Blu-rays do, um, but obviously they're licensing for that. And hey, hey, Adam, can I ask you a question? Yep. I mean, to me, it's so funny because H.264 basically mostly open at this point. How the hell did they create H.265 and include IP inside of the what was supposed to be the next generation of of codecs everybody was going to use. Uh, uh, motivationally, I think it was out of spite, but I think it was kind of an accident because most of those patents, most of the patents on the features and stuff, were actually there for H.264. Um, and even going back to the MPEG two days, which was you know the '90s and early early 2000s, but it, it almost seems like going back through it it almost seems like everyone just kind of ran away with it anyway and they couldn't get a control over their ip for lack of a better yeah. word um and so in i think 2014 they just completely opened it up and were like all right everyone can use it whatever but like they were trying for a while to make people license it but i mean you think back to um when the ipod came out we had a surge of like chinese clone mp4 players and things like that and just everyone saw how revolutionary this codec was and just ran away with it and they couldn't really like keep up with it um because there is a lot of open nature to the codec and things like that but they wanted to keep the the the, the uses and applications of it uh, you know so far under wraps and that was one of the big basically every program that handles video that you would interact with on a daily basis uses ffmpeg which is a command line interface that's open source and things like that for encoding and decoding and i i, I think they kind of like everyone started implementing that and not contacting the right people for this. And it just, it turned into a thing where they're like, okay, 
y'all can have this, but we're making the cool new thing. You want to come to our cool new spot? You want to pay us for it? <laughs> and then that didn't happen. Google Mm-mm. invented their own codec called VP9 um, that they use for all of their videos at this point. Um, although they are heavily invested in AV1, which we'll talk about in a moment. But like Google invented their own. Cisco tried doing their own thing for a little bit. Like everyone started going in different directions and it wasn't working. We saw lots of issues with everyone trying to be proprietary solutions here and there. And so all these companies came together and founded a singular open source alliance so they could all just make one awesome codec and get back at the HEVC people. Um, (laughs) Money money drives some weird decisions, especially when you see like Apple and NVIDIA and Intel and all these companies in the same group. And it's like, how are these people in the same organization together? Um, Well, it's just so funny because it sort of mirrors all, all portions of technology i mean there was like there was like the font wars of the 1990s with you know mm-hmm. apple and microsoft yep. against adobe right so there's just sort of like it, there's always some kind of game of thrones battle somewhere so I, i'm just it's just yeah. amazing that uh, h.265 kind of like blew up the way it did yeah i think h264 was good enough that everyone was willing to just not upgrade in the meantime whereas when h264 came out we're talking about the era where you had you had eight different media players on your computer and every video had different codecs and you had you had real player and DivX and all these crazy things. And this was the one unified thing that worked really well. And it was easy to quickly make hardware that did it, which is why we saw all those little video iPods and things like that, because they could suddenly put these tiny chips that could decode this video. And that was like that was wild. And so it was it was big enough that everyone had to like rush to it, whereas HGVC, it's like okay, we'll just not do 4K for now, or we'll just <laughs> limit your limit your bit rate for now. Like, they'll, they'll work around it. Um, but we're reaching a point where I, I think YouTube, and as you were just talking about with all the data of everyone uploading videos and Netflix trying to optimize for everyone, like everyone's kind of trying to lower their bandwidth requirements uh, at scale. <laughs> and AV1 is here to help with that in that it is significantly more efficient under the right scenarios to produce quality that, the other codecs can't really compete with their H two six five. I don't. I don't know the organization name off the top of my head. It's escaping me. But whoever made H two six four and H two six five also made VCC slash H two six six, which is like a whole new thing. Um, it's but it's again bigger. the same licensing deals. And so, like, I, I haven't even looked at it. Like, I'm like, who's who's gonna who's gonna mess with it? Um, and now so, with all those names behind AV one. Yeah, right. Like everyone's <laughs> yeah. funding everyone. And so that's kind of where everything's going. Twitch was one of the first companies to publicly like be like, hey, this is what we want. Back in 2018, uh, YouTube and Twitch were demoing videos and sh- trying to demo streams with it. In 2019, Twitch was like, here's our roadmap. We're going to start streaming with it because Twitch has always been kind of like the, the, the punching bag for low quality streams. Like they're the place where everyone streams games. But officially, you can only stream up to six megabits per second, which is not very much like yeah. That's that's less than a DVD typically uses uh, for for 480i video. So yeah, it's it's never been great quality, and they want higher quality. And with everyone moving to higher frame rates and resolutions, they want that to unlock. And so everyone's kind of been invested in this one point, which, as uh, Ian Cutters pointed out earlier, that does create more of a singular point of failure. But (laughs) ideally, the open nature of it and the fact that everyone can iterate on it. Like right now, there's like at least four different AV1 encoder software that I know of. So like, just like with H.264, there's the codec and then there's different implementations of how to use it. And so even if one just goes off the wrong way, like you still have the others. Um, 
And so that's where we get today is we're finally at a point where we can now have dedicated hardware that encodes this video because every time we make a new codec that's more efficient, it's not magic. It costs more <laughs> compute cycles to do. And the original AV1 demos, like, it would take days just to make a 1080p video, like, encoded. And it was the same thing with HEVC when it first came out. But they've been slowly improving how efficient, you know, how efficient it runs on your CPUs and we get multi-core CPUs. And now we have dedicated GPU encoders that can just run it on there. Now, comes with quality sacrifices but we're getting there well uh why do you think intel this is intel is the the first to do this why why did why did intel get on it first rather than nvidia or amd i'm sure that you know that's coming in future cards but it seems like intel has been like oh yeah we were the first one to av yeah i think pure timing like intel always tries to be first to stuff like they brag that they have the first they had the first direct x12 gpu in their igpus because they just like released it sooner like they despite the fact that they're new to the dgpu market their overall like graphics presence has always kind of been kind of you know trying to be competitive even if not on performance but in terms of feature set and compatibility they have a lot to support in terms of their processors um but also like it provided assuming it launched last year, which is what their intention was, it provided them a huge market advantage um, because they've always had that advantage over AMD in terms of having an iGPU that can encode video in the first place. That's always been huge on top of beating out the other companies to AV1 encoding on their cards. Um, but also I think it's it's helping to leverage them in the right workflows. Like they just announced their data center cards that have AV1 encoding on there. That is going to be super useful in the enterprise scene for splitting up for virtual desktops and things like that if they for vGPU stuff. Because you have, like, I don't have it with me, but you have, like, an NVIDIA Tesla card that can run, like, 50 million NVENC sessions to stream. Because if you have a, a big work environment, there are plenty of situations where you run headless nodes off of one server all running, like, virtual desktops instead of physical computers. And they're all streaming if you're using NVENC or NVIDIA yeah. with NVENC, NVIDIA's encoder. And so you have big old Teslas that don't even have graphics outputs that can do like a million NVENC streams for all those individual users. Intel, presumably with their, you know, server-side graphics cards, is going to want some of that. And moving to AV1 is going to allow those users a lot more quality and responsiveness and things like that. So I think it's it's trying to compete on all of the fronts and the fact that they just have the engineers that can do it. Obviously, we, we, we don't have official confirmation that NVIDIA or AMD will have AV1 encoders on their cards this year, but we can all assume that they're going to be missing out if they don't, so we can hope at least that they will. Um, and so it remains to be seen how they compete with each other in terms of results on their encoders, but it would be a huge swing and a miss for them not to have it because that's just one other use case that they won't like be as effective for. Whereas right now, I want one of those single-slot workstation GPUs for a Plex server to stream all my movies and stuff like that. You know, low-power, but only bus-powered single-slot card, dedicated streaming computers, or for just slotting it in as an accelerator card effectively. Like, the flexibility they're offering by implementing it is actually really huge. Um, and so I just hope, in a weird way, I hope NVIDIA and AMD's encoders aren't, like, somehow, like, significantly better performing than Intel's just because... AMD and Intel or AMD and Nvidia aren't releasing these cheap, tiny cards. Yep. Yeah, that was they, one of my big takeaways reading your piece, watching your video. Like, multi GPU setups have been dead for years for most practical purposes for consumers, at least. Uh, but this, I was like, if you have a streaming box, this could be a good, you know, 
that's the reason you want to have two GPUs and you throw one of these in there, get AV1 going on. Same thing like you were saying with the Plex server. Like These little cheap things could be really, really interesting depending if they come to the US and what the price is. Yeah, and I really hope they allow for vGPU stuff so you can like throw it in an Unraid box and virtualize yeah. it to different you you know virtual machines and stuff. Like, there is a lot you could do with it for super cheap without extra power, without significant heat. Um, little known fact is that video encoding on your graphics card doesn't really produce a whole lot of heat. Uh, it's cool, mm-hmm. you know, it's a small enough chip that it's cooled well enough that, and with a lot of the graphics cards that have fans that just idle if they're not you know up until a certain temperature you could do an entire stream and those fans never kick on like for for creative workspaces where you need silence and low heat and stuff like that that stuff is huge so that would be like that's the ideal scenario and apple brought back the accelerator card with their crazy pro res cards and things like that and so the concept isn't dead anymore it's just a matter of finding the right pieces to put together and so far i've been using my a380 alongside my rtx 3090 to encode my videos and it's mostly been okay (laughs) Which yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, what do you mean by mostly? I just kind of <laughs> want to know what part of that sucks. Well, I started so performance-wise, it seems fine. I did some tests, and I was seeing like between HEVC encoding directly on my 3090 versus AV1 on the A380 that handoff between the cards. Because when you're encoding and rendering a video, it's doing all of the like building the frame, like the scene you see here on the stream. All of that is being composited and put together on your graphics card. And then when I'm editing, all that's being done on my 3090 because it's 24 gigs of VRAM. It's the beefy card to do that on. So then it has to copy all of that over, depending on how these are set up. I'm assuming right now it's going to be across the CPU to memory, back to the CPU, across the PCIe bus again, through to the A380. That's a potential big performance hit or at least a latency yeah. hit. But in my test doing HEVC on my 3090 and AV1 on the A380, it was basically the same. Like it export times for like a big hour and a half long render it was like one or two minutes between them and the different settings the a380 was faster the card was faster because really you're waiting you know we you think about if you're talking about gaming on a graphics card you have like the render time for the game and then the display has to sync up with the outputs of that same thing with video encoding graphics card spending all this time encoding a frame the encoder card is just kind of waiting for new ones so any potential lag there is kind of not an issue once you have enough effects going on if you're just doing a basic re-encode of like i'm decoding the video on one card and spinning it on the other that's gonna be a lot slower but for a video edit it's been fine i have started having a weird blue screen that i don't know if i can blame on the intel drivers 100 or not yet um that i've never seen before regarding it's video memory management internal and i've never had this happen before and i think it only started after i put the a380 in um but it's only under super weird circumstances like i was doing some crazy 4k compositing and after effects that was maxing out all 256 gigs of my ram plus all my vram and i think it was trying to hand off to the a380 or something and it just couldn't do it um and it was just like oh that's a weird vram thing over here that doesn't relate to this card i can't do that and it crashed (laughs) i haven't figured it out yet it only happens under i mean the after effects thing i was able to recreate a lot but otherwise it doesn't happen a whole lot but i still think it's caused by the intel driver but that's the only quirk I've had. Like, otherwise, it's working fine. Like, it's just that one little quirk. I know a lot of people have had tons of issues with the Intel drivers. That's been my only thing, honestly. But I haven't gamed on it. I'm not. Well, yeah, which that, that is interesting because, I mean, the, Steve has awesome stuff over at Gamers Nexus. And yeah, he had a the, terrible the time. Other Steve. Yeah, you know, so, I mean, obviously, Intel is marketing these towards gamers, uh, you know. Uh, but then to to see your video, which was was 
you know, just at, at the content creation stuff or, or the, the main one that you've put up so far. I'm, I'm sure you have more uh, planned. You know, it was kind of like, oh, wow, AV1 is here. This is this is crazy. So, you know, uh, how much did Intel pay you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to throw that in there. Removing weeks from my life. So, uh, so when when you're talking about streaming, I, you know, we kind of get into this sometimes too because I I have a dedicated editing machine, I have a dedicated gaming machine, so it's different. Like, what do you think, like cost wise, would be for a card like this to say, hey, you know what? Wow, I can get AV one, I can get it on this lower lower power card, the A three eighty, you know, and it 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 doesn't need ex- that one doesn't need external PCIe power or does it? I can't remember. The- the current one does. The single slot ones that they were showing for like the workstation side don't. I'm assuming oh, okay. those are going to be more expensive though, so we'll see. But like, oh, it's supposed yeah. to be a 75 okay. watt card. So theoretically, the bus could power it. But I think on the gaming side, they're just accounting for like transients and stuff. MSI just showed off a single slot oh, card yeah. too, though. Actually, they have that on a pre-built. Yeah. yeah. So like, what you know. I I know everyone's different, but you know, like like what what is your tolerance? What are you like? Oh man, I I would pay X amount of money for this, or the, this is this is worth you know X amount of money if you're just doing streaming, right? If you're gaming, yeah, a lot of people are like, ah, this is dead in the water. But if right. you, for streaming, you're like, wow, this this might be actually something interesting to pick up. Like, how how do you equate that in your head? It, it's tough because my answer two years ago would have been different from today. Um, the rumored prices we've seen for the A380 are around 128 to 140 bucks, but then they came out and said, "Well, we're restructuring the pricing based on performance, so it might even go down." I'm not really sure what that's supposed to look like, but that price range, to me, that is gold for like this purpose. Because previously, your only other option was a 1650 Super or a 1660 from Nvidia, which at one point in time you could get for 200 bucks or on a crazy sale for like 180. Mm-hmm. You can't do that anymore. It's like double that now. If you want to import an A380, it's like it's like 350 bucks. That's not really unless you just want to play with the AV1 encoder and don't want to wait two months or however long it's supposed to be for NVIDIA's whenever they decide to release them. Uh, <laughs> that's not worth it. But under $200 is pretty wild. Obviously, not every user is going to be able to go out and do that. But for those of us already, you know, building streaming setups and things like that, the value you get there, especially because it still has Intel's h264 and h265 encoders which have been updated enough with these newer generations to compete with and or beat nvidia's encoder even if you don't get to use av1 for another year you're still getting the best thing for your buck in terms of encode performance on the card anyway big win for me i i would love to see like a lot of people keep requesting and i would love to see just like some sort of encoder focus card that lacks a lot of the 3d chip parts Mm-hmm. it's probably not worth it to Intel to break out SKUs, especially if they're having trouble getting board partners or whatever. And that's like my biggest issue right now is I think marketing with a lot of these companies struggles with, with graphics cards. They can't just market cards for specific purposes. They all have to appeal to the gamers because the gamers is the biggest market. But when we look at say steam charts and things like that, the gamers are never flocking to these low end cards in the first place. There are some, and in certain markets, lots but in terms of like North American centric marketing going on here, you're not advertise like trying and you're trying to like advertise to 1060, 2060 players with a card that's like a 1030 is never going to go anywhere. 
Um, And so if we could have more, I don't know if that needs to be on the board partners who just make their own little like versions or whatever. I realize streamers, content creators, whatever are lower markets, but the entire video industry uses hardware video encoding. It's just not as flashy as the streamer life or whatever. But having something that's more catered towards those markets, I think would play a lot more favorably than trying to be like, hey, we got the cool gaming card and and no one wants that gaming experience. I'm also hoping that 13th gen or 14th gen iGPUs will also because they're moving those to be arc iGPUs too they'll get the quick the the av1 quick sync on there as well at which point you'll have it built into a cpu if you upgrade cpus well that's what i was going to say like if so if somebody's going to build now though yeah you could you could take the you know potentially 150 ish dollars uh and and get a better CPU, you either yep. get the AV1 on the CPU itself or you get a uh, CPU encode, which, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, CPU encode always looks better. You know, like, like then what, why would you want to get a standalone arc in that? Well, with AV1, you're still really going to struggle to run, like, real time enough to look good. Like, you can run a couple presets, but it's really hard to. And so we're talking... Yeah, we're talking like if you want to stream X two six four medium, which is like the 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 really solid preset that you run on your CPU, you could do that with a thirty six hundred X right now. Probably lower end than that uh, for a dedicated streaming PC. For to run a competent AV one preset, you're looking at a Threadripper probably. Like that's a completely different scale of hardware. Um, and so, I just don't think it's realistic. Hmm. Um, and also at this point, like I don't like being dismissive of people, but QuickSync and NVENC beat out pretty much all the CPU encoding. Like it's, I know people say that it's better, but like if you're on the newer generations, it's not. Like it's mm-hmm. it, for, in most cases, there's always, you know, different games look different, whatever. But like on average, yeah. it's not. And so I, I struggle, especially with the amount of heat and power that a CPU would draw for that encoding task versus a graphics card too. I just, I can't imagine it being worth it. And so, I, I don't know. I used to be a fan of the beefy CPU, tiny GPU config for streaming. Like, I had uh, my, my, my old streaming PC that handles, like, my big multicam setup and all my retro game captures. It's a Threadripper, and then a, it, for a while, it was a 1650 Super, which is, like, the most imbalanced, <laughs> like, configuration. But now, at this point, I've upgraded it to a 2060 or something because I do a lot of 4K stuff. And you can encode 4K on those smaller cards, but actually doing the compositing and scene rendering on those the GPU side or, you know, the 3D side can't really keep up as much. And so I think every, especially with everyone's doing all these crazy plugins in OBS now and all these effects and like everyone's getting sold on this higher end stuff, your lower end graphics card or even your iGPU is going to struggle to keep up with that. Hmm. I, you know, it's, it's just funny to me because, you know, a lot of people sort of dump on that low end arc, but yeah, as a gaming card, no, it'd be really hard to ever recommend that, but like it really should. We just haven't be... tested it yet. We haven't tested it yet. <laughs> yeah, we haven't tested. Allegedly, I, Brad is going to review. I can say I would like. I would definitely recommend to most normal people to get a GeForce Radeon over an Arc at low end. Yeah. But honestly, as an like, if it were marketed like you were saying, as an as a streaming card, streaming card for Twitch, at that low at very low cost, that seems like a pretty awesome win. You know. Yeah. You just you can put slot like, that into a little nuck or into like a media yeah. center PC. Like, well, could you do that on your main box? You do all the gaming on. I mean, it sounds like you're. So if you had like a, you know, say a thirty seventy, but you're going to do real time, 
uh, AV1 encode with the arc with that? Depending on your motherboard, yes. Uh, this is something that I've kind of gone back and forth with people about because every time I test it, even though everyone's benchmarks say lowering your GPU PCIe lanes doesn't affect performance, every time I test DirectX 12 games like Warzone and things like that, the second I slot in another GPU on like a consumer chipset, this was pre-PCIe 4 being a huge deal that it is now, every time I slot it in a second GPU, immediately I was seeing performance hits before I even opened OBS. And then when you open OBS, that adds the load and it gets complicated. But we're in the world of PCIe 4 now, which makes up for it. And the ARC cards, at least the seven, the A380, it's only an 8x card. It's like it, it, they add the full slot. I would love to see someone just make one that doesn't have the full slot taken up because you'd be more likely to get a slot. But like being lower lanes in the first place, plus only being dedicated for streaming and motherboards these days, especially on the newer AMD and Intel chipsets, we're starting to see more slots be available. You're going to be able to do it. If you're on HEDT, Threadripper, X299, whatever, totally able to do it. Um, it's only the it's going to be the 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 budget chipsets, the B450, B550s, those tier of chipsets where they just don't have the throughput where you're going to struggle because it may not seem like you're doing much, but the way video encoding works is you're running your game and it captures what are called textures, but basically the full raw video data of every individual frame to send that through the bus to another graphics card is a lot of data. That on top of your game is a ton of data. And so on those budget chipsets, you're going to really struggle. But on like the, the X570, the Z690s, the, the higher end more boards, you're most likely going to be fine. That's why I kind of wonder if it was a mistake to limit it to, you know, uh, eight lanes on the on the R cards instead of going for a full 16, even though it's Gen 4. But yeah, it feels like it could have used it if you were going to use it as a secondary encoder card. Well, I no, I was I was seeing that as an advantage, at least for the low end. I think for the higher end, it might get weird, but for the lower end, like that means you're taking less away because if if you had an arc as your main GPU and then we're trying to copy to a to a second arc or something, that limitation would be a problem. That would be a dumb configuration. Don't do that. <laughs> but if you were doing that for some reason, instead of SLI, we just call it I don't know Intel Hyper GPU or something. Uh, if you were doing that the the lower lanes would be an actual limitation that would be a problem but by having your second card be lower it's a benefit because you're taking less away from your primary card um and you're just sending the textures to it that on its own is fine but gaming plus the textures is enough bandwidth that you run into some funkiness hmm. yeah Thank someone's you. saying uh newer boards can do full 16 lanes to a second slot at which point it depends if you're running through the chipset versus cpu lanes but yeah yeah, that gets weird, too, because now the latency of going through the South Bridge right. and all this stuff. Hey, so I had a, another question I had because, you know, again, go to PC World, go to uh, uh, your YouTube channel to, to view the video. But I was really interested to see the image quality of AV1 encode really kind of kick everyone's ass down at like mm -hmm. three megabits. That's where it was like just slaughtering everybody. Is that yes. kind of, am I reading that right? Yeah, so that's the primary point. I almost, looking at it, until I looked at the CPU encoders, at least, I kind of got concerned that they were trying too much to optimize just for lower bandwidth. Um, but looking at that's the the 3.5 megabits per second, which to me, at least before AV1, was the lowest anyone should ever do 1080p, because once you get lower than that, it's just impossible to look good. Uh, but at that point, we're talking significant gains in quality, and that is kind of the point of what they wanted to make. Like, we... they Video encoding in... Even 2012, it was still all about the web desktop experience. In 2022, mm -hmm. it's all about mobile 
and TVs, which don't always have the best internet connections, but especially mobile, when you're out and about, you only have so much bandwidth. There's There's been this weird thing where a lot of people like to argue, I have never seen it personally, but a lot of people like to argue that mobile devices can't stream higher bit rates on Twitch. Um, and they can't like it, it causes a lot of buffering issues and stuff. And I think that just depends on like signal stability and whatever. Yeah. Um, but that has been a big problem. And some people will intentionally intentionally limit their quality over on Twitch in order to appeal to mobile viewers, because these days most viewers in general are on mobile. And so between that and between the fact that realistically most video streaming sites for VODs like Netflix, YouTube, whatever, they're using really low bit rates. Now they're not streaming. There, there, there's a bunch of different ways to encode video and the way you stream to YouTube or Twitch is with what's called constant bit rate and that you just set a limited bit rate that you are restricting your stream to and that's all you send. Videos that are, you know, encoded after the fact and then played back are not handled that way, but they still use very low bandwidth. Like a 1080p, 60, like your stream right now, if that was a video, you'd be looking at like three megabits per second max, even if you uploaded a full fat ProRes file that's like 100 gigs. Like they squish mm-hmm. you down a lot anyway. And so that's kind of what they really want to optimize for because they want the least, literally, like, whenever you, Google, I'm, I'm tangenting a lot, but this will make sense. Whenever Google implemented VP9 for YouTube videos, which is their open source codec before AV1 that they wanted to switch to, slightly higher efficiency, um, <clears throat> there was this whole trend of everyone trying to trick YouTube into giving them VP9 transcodes because they thought it was better quality, when in reality, you just got higher bandwidth because you were a higher resolution. Like, you get higher bit rates for 1440p or 4K than you do at 1080p. And so you'd get less blocking if you watched it at 1440p or 4K than at 1080p. But it wasn't VP9 itself doing that because the whole point of Google implementing VP9 is so they can lower quality of videos effectively just without you noticing it. Like, they want to send as few bits as possible. And so (laughs) all of the work to, like, squeeze out the quality is going to be down on as little bit rate as possible. And so once you start getting to... I think it's considered like for real time streaming, the 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 point of diminishing returns is about 12 to 15 megabits per second for 1080p. And so as we approach that, all the encoders start to normalize, even like the quality differences between AMD and NVIDIA or whatever. They all start shrinking together as we increase in bit rate because you have reached a point where you get a kind of, for lack of a better word, transparent like view into the video. It may not, you know, there are there are always improvements as you go up. But as you get to that point, you lose the the artifacts and the problems of low bit rates. And so they, the, the emphasis is on trying to see how low can we go. And it's really impressive when you use the CPU encoders though, the ones that take forever still, um, because like the ones that Twitch demoed, they were streaming 1440p, 120 frames per second, and there was no blocking. Now it wasn't as sharp as it could be, but there was no blocking you would reasonably notice in most situations at eight megabits per second. Which for like Warzone, Apex, they did Overwatch, a few games. If you stream 1080p right now using the normal encoders to switch at eight megabits per second, you're still going to get those artifacts yep. at half the frame rate and 75% of the resolution. And so you still get improvements. But I think what we're going to see is the the and I still have a lot of like I'm gonna I'm gonna have to do a lot of videos on this because people have so <laughs> many questions. But at 1080p, I think the sweet spot is that 3.5 4 megabit per second range. That is where you get the most quality gains over X264. As you go up to the six and the eight megabits that I was focusing on, because those were required for 1080p before, that's where you start pushing the resolution. That's where it's like, okay, six megabits per second, 1080p may not look that much better, but now you can do 1440p and it still looks better. That opens up another door. Eight megabits per second, you start getting 1440p higher frame rate 
And then if they ever open it up to 10 or 12-ish megabits on Twitch, then we could do 4K reasonably, which is pretty wild. Using AV1. Using AV1, yes. So, wow. uh, but... But right now, AV1 support, even with Intel, I mean, what, what, what is supported? Does OBS have support? Can, OBS can you does go not to have YouTube the hardware support yet, but they're, I'm pretty sure they're working on it. Um, I always have to separate what I'm supposed to say, but I know, like, obviously they want to support it. Um, Twitch had a roadmap for it, but I discovered in writing my article that their guy that was their head, like, video engineer since the start of Twitch now works at TikTok as of like December of last year. So I'm hoping they still have the right management there for that. <laughs> Can't promise that. Yeah. But they so originally I, had so a roadmap. So AV1 on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> they originally had a roadmap that by the end of this year or the start of next year, like their most popular event streams or whatever would be having AV1 transcodes. Now, the interesting part with that is they could go one of two ways early on is they could either allow you to stream AV1 if they think market saturation is there for encoders, which by the end of the year it might not be since everyone's delaying their graphics cards. Um, or they could open the gates to allow you to stream higher bit rates to them and then they squish it with AV1 to the viewer. Um, I don't know that they will do that because not everyone's going to be able to play it, so they still have to offer uh, H.264 pipe to someone um, and they can't, they're not going to let viewers try to watch it like 20 megabits per second or something. But theoretically, like that's what YouTube does right now, like with your YouTube stream. Like you can stream up to, I think, 50 megabits per second to YouTube before it starts being like, hey, we, we don't like that. Please, <laughs> please lower it. And they'll still let you, but they start to be like, uh, um, and then they squish it down since they transcode all your streams. They squish it down to whatever they see fit. And so they could take that route or they could just be like, hey, if you got AV1 support and those big events are very slow to update. A lot of them use crazy rack based broadcast stuff from the olden days and stuff, but they also kind of hack in OBS at different points in the stage. So I could totally see a lot of those events just putting a little desktop with an AV, you know, an ARC card or an AV1 card at the endpoint and being like, all right, we mix it through all these places and then encode here. Um, <laughs> YouTube right now, you can upload AV1 videos. You can't stream with it yet. I'm told they're working on it. Um, the big problem to solve right now that I've heard of for AV1 is the the protocols because like you can't even stream like you sh you're streaming right now with what's called RTMP. I don't remember exactly what it stands for, but it's like the main streaming protocol that most video streaming websites use. You can pretty much only stream H.264 through it. So for YouTube, they just opened up HDR streaming, which has to use HEVC, but you have to use a completely different protocol to stream it, which isn't the best experience. And so everyone's still trying to figure out the right protocol for AV1 streams. But for videos, you can upload it to YouTube. You can play it. Most computers will play it fine. Like there, there's, you can download an extension. It's free, unlike the HEVC one from the Microsoft Store, and it will play in you know the default media player or VLC or whatever. And if you have the hardware for it, it'll decode on your hardware. Otherwise, it'll decode on your software, um, which most processors these days, unless you're watching 8K 60 FPS, like it'll be mm -hmm. fine. Um, YouTube has a ton of videos now in AV1 if you enable it in your settings to watch it. Um, it's kind of hit or miss. Like I said that in my video and my video is now in AV1, but I had lots of people who were like, well, my browser doesn't even show me this option. And then mine does. And they'd be on the same browser. And they're, they're... YouTube's weird about rolling out features, but it's it's there. Uh, Resolve as a video editor supports AV1, both encode and decode. Um, I think Premiere is adding support or already has it. Final Cut, I don't have a clue about, sorry. Um, but then Handbrake within the nightly builds, you can use the Intel encoder as well. Um, I had to submit a lot of bugs for them to fix that I think just released yesterday with that. But um, 
since Handbrake supports it, that means FFmpeg will support it. Eventually, they take forever to release actual updates. But once that update releases and then a program you use that uses FFmpeg updates that, basically every program will support it. But it's one of those, there's so many like cogs in the system that have to update to trickle down. It's moving much faster than codecs traditionally do. But I think a lot of people expect like, oh, Arc release. Everyone's got AV1 overnight and it's not that simple. Well, so then it's almost like the advantage that Arc has right now with the AV1 like might, might right. go away by the time you know right. uh, had AMD they released in 2021 <laughs> like they planned it would have been a huge advantage with them releasing now and still not even shipping yet by time nvidia comes out that advantage will be less other than <sighs> the the lower end advantages like we were talking about because again you're not getting an rtx 4000 with av1 and stuff for under 200 bucks yeah, not anytime soon. There might eventually be a 40, 50 or whatever, but that's going to be And you've like got to be careful summer. with those because everyone these days are doing their cheaper cards now with yep. backwards oh. like generation hardware. So like the, yep. uh, the base 1650 from NVIDIA does not use the updated video hardware that yeah, all the other Ampere cards do. The RX 6400 or whatever that lower tier is, doesn't even have AV1 decode at all because it has the old media engine from RX 5000. And then I hear that Intel's 12400 CPU has slightly different iGPU than all the other 12th Gen 2. So like everyone's suddenly cutting like cutting out Ooh. the video engines on their super low end. So that's where Intel will still, like unless you want to wait multiple generations, will still potentially be better, but it we'll see. Because, yeah. But like if you look at the the GT 1030s and then like half of the 750 Ti's out there, that tier never even had video encoding or decoding yep. hardware at all. And so yep. Intel's in a position to tackle a very specific niche market that if they get the messaging right and reach the right people could be huge. But that's not the mainstream hashtag yeah. capital G gamer. So I don't I don't know. Yeah, They're looking really for board partners. I think it might be fun if they partner with someone like Corsair so they could yes. make like an Elgato if they could put it on A380. The yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Out of the box, awesome. AV1 encode would be awesome as a package. Or making it to where the, the A380 has bi-directional HDMI inputs or display ports so you could pass through your first GPU. You know, like the old yep. SLI days, uh, like pass, or I even yep. have older analog capture cards where you did that. You pass your VGA <laughs> through and then pass it back out to your monitor and you could capture the VGA. <laughs> Same thing where you pass through your display port, capture it, encode it, and then pass it back through. And with Intel's kind of flexibility with adaptive sync, you shouldn't lose any of your cool features. And theoretically, it should be lag-free. It'd be under a millisecond, so it would be fine. Like, that would be wild. Even more, I I'm totally pitching the moon right now. Even more, <laughs> if you could pass it through and also apply smooth sync to that output to help blend the tearing, then we're talking, like, 200 IQ plates. None of this is going to happen. But in my dream world, oh, man. that would be where the engineers, like, really tried to figure it out. And maybe come Battle Mage or whatever the C1 is, maybe Celestial. we could see something like that. But I don't think we'll see it for alchemist well i mean and then there's what rumors that that we might well, not even get the whole the whole the whole thing might get shut down you know yeah you know believe it yeah. when i see it yeah, yeah. that's yeah. not gonna happen so there's yeah. definitely i mean there you know because the rumors continue to leak that intel is trying to kill arc and i you know we were talking about this before the show but this definitely has a 
there are forces at work within the huge empire of Intel that do not want Ark to go further. So yeah. I believe someone in Intel is trying to kill Ark. I don't believe Intel is trying to kill Ark. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it they, feels they like... They need GPUs in 2022, man. You need GPUs for the workstation, for the data centers, for everything. Even if they kill desktop Ark, they're going to keep going full bore in GPU. That's that's what I believe too, But and I, I just want to bring this conversation up but I was at at Folsom. We had Rob Crook. He was showing off Optane drives. It was you know like twenty five <laughs> press, and we're talking four years ago. And he was like, "Hey, the day the day has finally come. We've gone through multiple administrations. That's basically multiple CEOs of of Intel. It's been a long, hard road, but the, we have to give everybody credit. We've we have gotten here to the launch of Optane, and we are going to see this through. So we are committed to Optane, twenty twenty two. And you know it's you just you just don't know. I mean, it is yeah. entirely possible. I really, I I don't think they would. I think they realize GPUs are the future. At the same time, you know, Intel has done. I mean, the amount of R and D that went into Optane and they just cut its throat is is insane to me. But it's it's happened before, so I, I don't know what's going to happen, which is really really kind of scary. That's wild. It's wild. Wild days. Well, thank you for breaking all this down. You got any more questions, Gordon? I, I have a ton. I just been <laughs> I'm just please, enjoying please. listening. Yeah. So um, I'm interested because you know I I'm not a I'm not an encode video nerd. I don't you know I usually talk to the experts, but I want to know. I've always kind of believed like well uh, you know, NV Inc is above QuickSync in quality. Mm. I, it looks like your testing though is like oh actually QuickSync is like better than NV yeah. these days. So. Intel's QuickSync team have actually been pushing, I think you can track them on GitHub, they've been pushing updates every generation. Whereas NVIDIA let their encoders sit for like 10 years untouched, and then once they had a marketing angle for it, they're like, hey, streamers, AMD has left theirs mostly untouched just in general. Um, yeah. <laughs> Intel has been updating every generation. So as of ninth gen, it was still subpar to NVIDIA and kind of going toe-to-toe with AMD. 10th gen, got a little better. 11th gen was kind of on par with AMD, but no one really talked about it, and even I never got around to covering it because we went from 11th gen right into 12th gen, so it was like, why bother? Um, but then 12th gen, I, I when I first covered 12th gen, I was like, hey, this is looking really good, but never had time to like quantify it. And then as I've like sat down with it, like it is significantly better in most cases. There are some games that it struggles with, and like every encoder handles things differently. So like NVIDIA's SDK for gaming kind of videos is they have a lot of optimizations for that and so they focus on trying to preserve the look of the sharpness of the image even if it's not the cleanest um and this causes issues and i have again another video i have to dive into on all this but like it causes issues in when you have overlays like because you know most people don't just stream raw gameplay you got your face cam you got your borders you got your alerts those things suffer more within vink than say cpu encoding um because cpu encoding is kind of just agnostic to everything Whereas Intel's seems to prefer to kind of smooth over the artifacts a little bit more rather than preserve sharpness. Um, it, their AV1 encoder seems to do both. But like you, you get some weird back and forth trades where Intel's might look the cleanest, but a lot of people are going to have that weird placebo effect of thinking another one looks better because it looks sharper. But the sharpness is really just pixel blocks that you don't want. But like, you know, everyone has different preferences. Um, and so 
that's uh, that is a limitation of the the Netflix analysis testing that I do that I'm still trying to find a way around just because all the other data sets are boring and I can only show you so many side to side samples in one video run through YouTube's own compression again but like you Netflix's analysis it's the tool I use for all for most of my quantitative comparisons called VMAP um it is designed since it's for Netflix to take what a viewer effectively watching on different size TVs at a certain distance would perceive. And if you've ever looked up even on your cable TV and like walked up on the TV, you'd be kind of shocked at how blocky and ugly it is. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's some like it doesn't it doesn't have illustrations of, OK, this one's sharper, but this one's blockier or, you know, this one's sharper and blockier. This one's blurrier, but smoother like and then sometimes colors get messed up in like AMD's encoder. That's gotten better in recent years. But like QuickSync's biggest problem used to be that it would just like glitch out every like when you started the video and then halfway through the video, like it was very unstable. They have 100% fixed that. But then we still have like it's effectively like an art style in a game. Whose art style do you prefer in your encoder? And that's part of the reason people probably still stick with CPU is it's just kind of generic. Um, and then you can kind of tune it with different tweaks and arguments to kind of prefer those things but i will say nvidia has put the time in on a lot of like machine learning training based on what people want out of gameplay videos that no one else has and so that's why they came to the conclusion they did but if you're looking for the least distracting in terms of blocking elements whatever um quick sync on 12th gen and the arc gpus is just pretty baller right now hmm. and this is all h264 everyone's hvc encoders are better but what are you using it for other than like your local videos? Right, right. So that's the other question is like, so now we have AV1 encode. If we see that in 13th gen from Intel, if we see it in Arc GPU, what happens to QuickSync? Does it just kind of like turn into this legacy, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's they- going to. It's going to stick around just because there, there's so much saturation of HEVC and H264 content. Uh, some Arc G or some Intel iGPUs actually even support VP9 encoding, which most GPUs don't. Like, I've been looking for this and just found this out recently. But no program, like, there's no, even handbrake and stuff, they don't have the encoder supported. Like, it's in the SDK and the driver, but, like, literally even the most niche of software that you would think would use it don't have support for it because no one really, like, no one's making VP9 video. It's more for your, your, your last mile encode, not for your video source. Um, and so that was kind of weird, but it's one of those, like, for the most part, until we get to the point where it's like, ha, remember MP4s, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. It's going to stick around. It, it probably will stop seeing updates. And I think that's part of why AMD drug their feet with updating their encoder. I, I, I have a lot to say about AMD that people don't like, and I'm not going to dive too far into it in terms of their software side. But I do think that they saw the writing on the wall that, H.264 was not going to be around very long and it wasn't worth however much it would cost to invest to improve it when on their enterprise side, they're all using HEVC anyway. Their HEVC encoder is pretty baller. So on their enterprise side, with AMD being a company that primarily trickles down their server features to consumers anyway, they already were working on that and they knew something else was around the corner. They kind of just didn't see the point in it. Um, and so I expect, I expect just due to the hardware change there to be some minor changes in nvidia's h264 encoder this year like in a positive direction i don't know that it will but i'm expecting it but beyond that i i would not expect them to, unless twitch just like completely forgets about av1 because the dude shin left and he just you know no one else cares 
uh, unless we don't see the progress that everyone's expecting the next couple of years, I don't think NVIDIA is going to keep updating it because they'd have no reason to. Like, eventually, like, they got it good enough and they have no reason to. But I don't there's, see it being removed. Yeah, there's no way that Twitch abandons this initiative, though. Like you were saying, the... This is just beneficial for Netflix and right. YouTube and stuff like that on the back end because it's all about the bandwidth. Then the charts that you have in your video uh, and the PC World article, uh, <laughs> uh, the uh, Intel has better quality at 3,500 bit rate than NVIDIA and AMD do even at 6,000. So yeah, and some of those samples that was yeah yeah so like that makes theoretically such a difference that's on the saving the money like. Obviously, there's the the upfront investment of the uh, hardware versus the long tail of the bandwidth, but like long term, that will save a lot. And mm-hmm. like I imagine, I imagine the internet, like you know, the the old series of tubes uh, reference. I imagine the internet as like tubes that over the past decade have 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 been like bulging from all the you know the the surging demand the past ten years for streaming video, and that like any company that can just like start releasing a lot of that pressure is going to have, I know that's not technological, but like I imagine that mm-hmm. being a big deal um, on yeah. top of, as you mentioned, for YouTube stuff, storage, and because it's not just, if I upload this video, they don't just have to store this video. They have to store this video along with approximately 16 different transcodes of that video, mm-hmm. and then they have to store it in like 20 different places around the country. Yep. That's a lot. And so, yeah, um, they, they, they announced 2018 or 2019 that they're supposedly not keeping source files around anymore. Um, which is a bummer because they always kept them around to like iterate upon with new encodes. So like videos uploaded in tw- 2009 got 60 FPS transcodes once 60 FPS showed up and it was amazing. Theoretically, that limits that possibility. But what I think they're doing is they're using something like AV1 as an intermediate where they can shrink it down but keep it lossless and then yeah. send it out to mm-hmm. other ones. But I don't know. You. Uh, wow. I yeah. never thought about that. That just means an ugly fu- future. Right. Because in 10 mm-hmm. years, whatever we'll be using will be so advanced, and then they can't go back to re-encode from the source. And it's this just... has already happened. Anyone who has ever watched K-pop videos, I know this is completely out of left field, but K-pop <laughs> videos from 2009 to 2014, the way they look now, which is all for a lot of them, especially with the crazy like music sets, is absolute trash compared to how they looked before. And that's because they recompress them over and over and then they did some weird stuff whenever they have to syndicate for tv they like interlace the content and then recompress that without deinterlacing it and so some of these k-pop videos you know it was 2012 whatever so it wasn't a 4k amazing quality but they looked fine and now they look abysmal because they have done this and so you can literally like i I had a buddy and i who would like every couple years be like you check that video yet and i'm like oh my god what did they do (laughs) (laughs) and it's just like well, now I've I've started seeing some of them like uh, re remastered. Yeah, they're letting coming they're out. letting them like re replace the video with like 4K, and that <laughs> bothers me because they'll do like open gate widescreen for videos that were four by three or something, and that bothers. Oh me. Oh my but, god, it's just like know. Blu-rays. It was like it's it's a 4K Blu-ray. It's like the worst. Like the amount of time they spent to make that 4K Blu-ray to sell is going to look like trash. Yeah, and this is the same thing. They just but they can't go back because. Uh, yep. I, I want to cry. I, there, maybe that's just, I'm the, I would never pay for YouTube Premium, but maybe a YouTube Criterion channel. Like <laughs> we've gone back to the source and we've encoding it. We've encoded it lovingly, so you can see it. People have asked for that all the time. Like oh I would, I would love it. A, a big thing with that with AV1 is they have this feature called grain synthesis, which allows you to like preserve film grain 
through the compression. It's wild math gets crazy with it, but like they, they basically determine where the grain is in the video, remove it, compress it, because compressing grain is like really hard. Digital Foundry uploaded a video whenever Quake 2 RTX first released, and they showed the not denoised version, which had all the dots everywhere. And that was almost impossible to play in the YouTube player in the first round of transcodes that it got because it got up to 50 megabits per second because it's based on like a quality level. And with all that noise, they just couldn't shrink it down enough until it got a second pass. And so literally you couldn't play it in the browser because it was like the the way YouTube's dash buffering works. It's really dumb. Like even if you have fast enough Internet, it just couldn't keep up with the latency. But AV1 can remove the grain, compress it, add the grain back when it plays back. And so that can help preserve a lot of movies and things like that to still look a lot more natural. And the grain can help kind of mask some of the lack of sharpness or compression artifacts or whatever. And so we could see some cool stuff. I haven't really seen it in action on YouTube. Like I've tried messing around by adding grain in videos and waiting for the AV1 encode and stuff. I haven't seen it, but Netflix has been using it a ton and it's really cool. Yeah, wow. this fun stuff. <laughs> I would pay uh, for just like ProRes copies of every YouTube video or something. Though. <laughs> well, isn't it, that's yeah. float plane, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what are the questions you got, Gordon? We we, we do have a, a t- oh, time limit. I sh- I've been taking too many, uh, no, too please. much of your time. I was going to ask a ProRes question because I asked out of time. Oh yeah, no. Good. I would love, like, honestly, like Apple. People don't realize this, obviously, because a normal person just goes, "Oh, look, awesome Premiere performance, awesome ProRes performance." good on apple but to me that's that is apple they created prores they control it and apparently they don't really want to share it with anybody yeah i kind of wonder if there should be a a pro an open pro version of prores that nvidia amd and intel can support and the industry can push that is outside the control of apple because that's just giving way too much control to one vendor you know that's the weird thing is it does kind of exist so DM. ProRes is like more, for lack of a better analogy, like Windows <clears throat> counterpart is DNX HR and DNX HD. Um, I don't know who owns it or whatever. It still has some licensing fees for it. So like I have right here, let me, I have a Atomos recorder and by default it operates in ProRes mode, but I can enter, it was free, but I had to still enter a license code because they have to track it to like active, you know, pay for it um, and record in DNX HR. It seems to be slightly more like, not restricted in terms of Apple, but it still has similar licensing fees where they bake the licensing in by default because everyone's using Pros. But there's also one called Cineform. This one was originally built by GoPro, which I find so weird because GoPros like in their camera encoders have always been horrible looking. So I don't know how they made this amazing one and didn't use it. Um, it was originally made by GoPro and then they open sourced it. And it is, you know, within just speaking practically and generally not like raw numbers but like it performs very similarly to ProRes, where it's just like super lightweight to scrub through it's near lossless technically none of them are lossless for mezzanine codecs but you know near lossless super high quality has similar features and even has a hint of gpu acceleration and it's really cool but no one like it's not why well it works in most things but it's not widely supported in anyone like pushing for it um, and I don't entirely understand why, other than Apple got ProRes so like heavily embedded in the ecosystems of certain workflows. But like, I would love for that to take off because I would love to see acceleration for that on graphics cards. I would love to see more of that. And I, because I was kind of bummed that there was no way to use their Apple's little like accelerator card or whatever in a normal computer because that kind of thing is pretty cool. But also, they're so they put ProRes in such a weird box because you can only use ProRes on that card. 
It doesn't help you out with your H.264, anything else you would be using. And only certain, <laughs> like, we're talking old school movie studio workflows do everything in ProRes these days. Like, no no one does everything in ProRes. That, uh, and so it's it, it's weird to me, and they limit it, and then they did the whole ProRes RAW thing that they're, they're trying to sell all the cameras on. And of all the RAW codecs, it's my least favorite, but everyone wants to support ProRes, so they're going. Uh, it's just... I, I agree. I would love to see something like that. Well, to me, and it's such a Apple has such a and more power to Apple because that's what they push. But they're going to use that to just kick Nvidia and AMD and Intel's ass into until they actually have they've got people into a competing standard, gotten the industry into it too. Right? Yeah, yeah. I it's tough because I can't imagine like switching to an Apple desktop at this point, um, but. For mobile stuff, I would love a M1, M2, MacBook Pro, whatever, because it's lightweight, it's quiet, and it runs really fast. But when I'm at home and I need the expansion and not the Apple limitations, right. like the appeal of a little Mac Studio box is super appealing because, like, my thing is 100 pounds, it's like three feet tall, and it puts out <laughs> a lot of heat and noise. The idea of shrinking that down and just, you know, requiring a two pin plug into my wall is like insane. But then when it's like, okay, I need all these capture cards and all these expansion cards. And Apple's like, you don't need that. Or, or <laughs> you have your one box, but then you have eight little dongle Thunderbolt boxes. And that's not smooth. And so no. it's Dongles. tough. Um, I feel like we keep seeing back and forth. Like every five years, there's a wave of everyone switching to Mac and then everyone switching to PC. And it's just like for, for video work. And it's really hard to see like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that's i i kind of wonder I, i'm with you there because i think if you're doing video you're doing prores clearly apple but in five years if nvidia and intel are just kicking ass and amd how does apple come back from the next switch before right. they like, could but i'm not so sure next time they're going to really do that great and like right now with resolve if i i can edit hevc footage as quickly, you know, scrubbing through the timeline and like perform decode performance and stuff like that as quickly as I can Cineform or ProRes. And so between the bloated file sizes and like, you know, the limitations of it, it starts to make you wonder why we like, I have no reason to keep the workflow because you can do some forms of like transparent lossless modes in HUBC and H.264. It has the GPU acceleration significantly smaller. Um, it's it, it's. I see those mezzanine codecs other than in like film specific scenarios as kind of a dying breed because you're, you're losing a lot of the advantages. And when I can like I for a long time, I was chasing the ultimate. That's why I have these recorders and things like that. I was recording everything in ProRes or DNxHR because I just it was Premiere specifically has massive issues with playing video files of any kind in the first place. But like I was having so many performance issues as I was moving up to 4K and it was so nice having the smooth playback and all the you know 10-bit features of ProRes I was moving to that I was rigging up OBS to record ProRes I was doing everything and now that I have proper GPU accelerated HEVC decoding I don't really use it for anything like there's no there's no advantage and it just eats up space like we're talking space <laughs> we're talking like four gigabytes for a screen capture in HEVC that would be 400 in this like it's uh, but oof. would you I mean sorry I, I gotta ask last one so like <laughs> 
Because if you go back, like, again, say like 12 years from now, just like that K-pop idea, mm. if you want to remaster it into the next generation codec that's way better than AV2, whatever the hell they want to call it, can you do that from a, your HEV? I mean, it just feels like, you know, any you, photographer, you always want to keep your negatives. Right? Yeah. So that's just kind of like. Yes. Uh, like in an ideal world, I would keep everything in like as lossless as possible. But for that, I reach more to what's called chroma subsampling. Um, and so like most of your YouTube videos and stuff like that, they're all outputted in what's called 420, which means you're losing. I don't know the exact math, but like eight times your color information because it shrinks it down each tier. Whereas I, I try at 4K, it's kind of a unicorn, but I try to record everything in 444, which means even as you scale it, you don't you get far less artifacts and you know ringing around text and things like that um in 444 sources and so as long as you get lost lost lists enough that it's not there's no artifacts and things like that for a lot of things 100 like you can do that it's not going to be an issue in terms of like pragmatic applications if you're trying to completely like remaster from a new place no and so for my b-roll for like all my product shots and stuff like that ever since i switched to a cinema camera i've been keeping the the Blackmagic RAW files from them. And now I've been slowly figuring out HDR workflows. I'm able to take those files, recolor grade them in HDR, and make HDR video from videos that were never HDR. Had I just saved like the already color graded exported copies of those, I couldn't really do it. Um, and so HEVC can store HDR, so that's not a perfect analogy. But you know, there are advantages for certain workflows. If you're making a multi-million dollar movie, keep your ProRes RAW files, everything. <laughs> but if you're making YouTube videos, as someone who has like 300 terabytes of storage and keeps having to buy new hard drives every year, it's not worth it. Don't be me. <laughs> it definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Same with us. So you will not be seeing the ProRes version of this podcast, basically. <laughs> or so, somebody earlier was like, hey, when is PC World going to stream in uh, AV1? Like, yeah, okay. not, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, we're, we're running out of time. Uh, Gordon, any any last stuff? No, I'm going to shut you. up because okay. this has really just been a joy, except that I'm just like, I really want an, an ARC card at this point now. I really, <laughs> all these stories about them killing it, please do not kill it because I'm, I'm At least excited. get you one first. Oh, well, until then, like, oh, <laughs> when GeForce and, if, I mean, the bad news is like, oh, well, GeForce and Radeon has it. Oh, okay, then I, yeah. then I do need it, but. Uh, okay, then, uh, yeah, I think we, we do have some awesome questions lined up, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of running out of time, so uh, I think we'll, we'll hold those for next week. We, we will continue to do the full nerd. There was week. the Super Chat question at the very beginning. Oh, there was. Oh, you're right. You're right. I should totally go back and look at that. It was from uh, Old Man Brian. Oh, you know what? I'll just switch over to Q&A. There we go. For one, Old Man Brian gave us a, a 10-pound Super Chat. Thank you so much. Said, uh, in episode 218... Gordon said, no one going to care how much power these 4,000 GPUs parts use. Uh, they would like to say that uh, the EU electric prices on average have doubled since two, 2021. <laughs> I'm in the, my UK yearly energy bill in October 2021 was 1400 Next year's estimate is $5,300. Gordon, would you like to respond? I, I, think, I think it's just overblown because... I mean, his power bill is definitely overblown. Power bill, no, but I, <laughs> I'm just saying the power bill. I know that's going to cost more. That sucks the situation that Europe's in, but I just think if you're gaming so much every day, 
on you're pushing your rate your RTX 4000 so hard for 12 hours a day you either are making so much money because you're a professional streamer or you got some other issues because if you're playing 12 hours a day shouldn't you have your job I, I just think it's I don't think it's that significant I think it's a little overblown and also I think when people see they see these like oh my god these things are 500 600 watts it's not always going to be pushing that right it's just not and then they also sort of conflate that I need a I need a 1200 watt power supply and again ATX uh, 3.0 multi-rail is is going to solve most of those those transient issues I well think, so. I think I think what they're trying to say is that hey with the hardware they have now their power bill is already going up and will the power increase in the new cards or stay the same or go down I mean they're probably not going to go down <laughs> you know but even if they stay the same their power bill is already more than doubled so but but in in but there is talk that it's going to use more power so yeah, they're, it's, they're it's, already seeing a huge bill Gordon it might use more power but also at the same time the performance increase might be so much higher that honestly you may end up we don't know, but you may end up being sort of a, a, the same in some ways because maybe the card isn't working quite as hard in the game if you're, you know, you don't need 800 frames a second if you don't have a high high refresh monitor. So if you're at 60 or whatever or 75 hertz, it, it I, I just think people shouldn't freak out over it yet until we see the cards. Yeah, we got to see what's available. I will say that as someone who typically buys like a ADTI class card every generation or two, uh... My electricity bill has gone through the roof here already, and it's supposed to go up like another 70% in December or November. And at this rate, I'm going to have to seriously look and see, hey, is it worth that much extra electricity to get a 3080 Ti class card? So it is actually becoming a practical concern. It is becoming a practical concern, but I'm just going to – I'm just going to – my last statement here is, look, you bought you bought a Hemi Cuda, right? But you bought <laughs> – V8 muscle car with that's just insanely fast. You don't have the right to complain about the cost of gasoline. I just don't think that's you you've bought into the lifestyle at that point. So I think it's it's something you deal with cuz yeah, you could go drive a Toyota Corolla but you decided to have a Hemi Cuda cuz you want the Hemi Cuda. So I it, it just may suck for a while. Do you need to go? Out. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. please go. Sorry. Go ahead. Thank you for having right. uh, you Thank know you coming all. on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll definitely have you back. Thanks, yes. Adam. Thanks, Adam. That was a blast. <laughs> yeah. See you, dude. Sorry. Bye. No. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, old man Brian says, "Jokes on you. Uh, the UK doesn't have air conditioners. Uh, statistics say <laughs> that only one percent of house households have AC. So, they're talking about rising costs and it's hotter. Oh, it's oh yeah, man. it's a rough combo. Yeah." yeah. It, no, it's, uh, it's hard. <laughs> um, okay, uh, I I did have uh, a couple other super chats real quick, and not not questions, but uh, VC Jester gave us two dollars. Said uh, I missed your beautiful mugs. You two, Epos Vox. He's already gone, so he says thank you. <laughs> uh, I already miss his beautiful backdrop. I love all that retro, the eighty style lights uh, and stuff he has. Uh, we should we should go do a, a studio tour or something. <laughs> um, uh, sorry, uh, LaSalle Rhymes the third, friend of the show, LaSalle Rhymes the third, gave us a five dollar super chat and said, uh, "Welcome back, thank you." And then uh, Oleg Ostash gave us a ten dollar sticker and said, "Thank you." Oh, thank you. No, thank <laughs> you. So yeah, thanks again to everybody. Whew, what a what a wild ride. We're we're here. 
we will have uh, full nerds, you know, coming up the next next weeks. You yeah. Know, we're, we're, that, yeah. That's we're, back. Going away. we're back. We're back. <laughs> we're back. We're back. We're back. I promise. And and we will start getting some uh, some other other video content planned as well. So. Yeah, you can't tell because I shaved my head, but I have significantly fewer hairs up there than I did a few weeks ago. <laughs> mm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go take a nap. Uh, so, yeah, Gordon, why don't, why don't you take us out of here? Check back next week for your fix of PC Talk on the Full Nerd. For audio listeners, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. And if you're on one of those services, please leave a review. Every time you do, we don't accidentally uh, have someone in our company delete our email accounts <laughs> send questions and comments to the full nerd at pcworld.com thanks for coming i'm gordon Ung with brad charkas adios y'all go definitely check out epos fox on at epos fox on youtube it's an awesome channel i've been following it for years like anything to do with streaming anything to do with obs setups audio video he does it all it's a hundred percent worth checking out he just published something on pc world for the first time hopefully we'll have more of his stuff in the future but go click subscribe on his channel as well and adam patrick murray will hit the off switch yeah uh yeah so glad that uh the other adam adam two i'm gonna call him adam two uh, <laughs> <laughs> came by definitely go check out his stuff uh and the the intel interview we did when the channel was gone uh will go up within the next couple of days so you, you'll get a a special uh episode uh, if, if you're watching here on YouTube. So thanks, everybody. We will see you next time. Bye.